check that out. We'll check it out. Um, and then, uh, Stomp, you got a note here. Somebody spotted you on, out on the road. What's going on? Apparently, two people were coming down Old Waterville Road um, on Saturday. They, I guess they had done Pine Benbrook and were out. And then, uh, apparently... They saw a brownish Tacoma turning onto Mad River Road at about 5.30. And uh, it's funny. Uh, there's a note here. It says, this is the same Mike who reported the burning area off the Algonquin Trail that Stomp talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago. So anyway, long story short, I think uh, listeners are getting warmer. They're like, they're triangulating and <laughs> locking in on my whereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did see somebody else like posted a picture where they, they found the old woodpecker restaurant. Oh, like, the origin of the woodpecker studio. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. It's like, Oh goodness. And I have to get armed security. You're getting warm. You're getting warm to Stomp's location. Yeah. Here. Please donate so we can buy armed security. <laughs> I got an article that I picked up on the internet. I think it was on Reddit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Actually, before I get to that, let me make sure I get my settings correct here. Oh, my settings are good. Uh, is the Boston accent disappearing? So you don't really have a Boston accent, I don't think, do you? Which is strange. I mean, I grew up in uh, north of Boston, essentially. Yes. But a I lot can. of people have said that, so I don't know what the story is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you were raised by some classy classy people or something like that. I was around <laughs> hooligans growing up. <laughs> classy linners. Yes, exactly. Uh, you don't have much of an accent either, though. Well, I think my situation with my accent, I definitely can like slip into it and you know, my mm-hmm. kids still make fun of me. But I think once I started working in sort of the business community... Um, I had a pretty pronounced one, I think. And then yeah. as I started getting around people that were sort of in the engineering and the tech sector, I tried to sort of hide it a little bit because I noticed like not that many people like had, you know, had pronounced Boston accent. So I, I kind of slip in and out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's funny. But apparently it says that um, there is a strange, so this article is from CBS News and it basically just says that um, there's a strange phenomenon occurring. People are pronouncing their R's. Is the Boston accent endangered? So it's always been a Boston birthright to talk a little funny, and we can dump <laughs> our R's like T in the haba. Um, haba. And yeah, so they just go on to interview Ka. this this linguistics language uh, professional. 
And uh, she, one of the professionals they interviewed, they, they, she said, I think we're much more diverse um, nowadays and people from all over the world are living and working here. And I can definitely say, like, having worked in Cambridge for like 15 years or 12 years, I can definitely see that there's a, there's a big mix in the city. So it's just not as concentrated as it was at one time. Yeah. So, well, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And I think I, li- I like look at South Boston and I know South Boston has changed from being a very sort of uh, insular community that, you know, was very, you know, heavy with the accent. And now there's a bunch of sort of like, it's like the, the Alston Brighton crowd found it and lives there now. So, Hmm. Yeah, that's anyway. interesting. I wonder if kids are also attending school with uh, people of different nations and accents and this and that, maybe just getting diluted. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the most, the, the time where I notice the Boston accent the most is in movies and in like HBO shows. Yeah, it's always over the top. Yes. It's like, it's almost like a cliche. Like, I don't know if Hollywood thinks that's how it really is or if it's just become such a joke that they just always do it. It's sort of strange. Yeah. I, I find it really annoying when I'm watching a movie. It's just so inaccurate. It depends on the actor. I guess it depends on the actor. I think. Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, but I just had that. I thought that'd be interesting stuff to show off. Uh, next mm-hmm. thing I have here, Stomp, is my boss actually called me out on this earlier because I, and she does listen to the show. So hello, Carrie, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> she, I go to bed early, so I'm known for like, I try to go to bed around 830 at night. So um she had told me about this article where it basically says that if you are someone that goes to bed early or spends a lot of time in bed, because I've always had this theory that like eight hours of sleep, nine hours of sleep, it's better for you. But this study mm-hmm. that they made that, that that's in this article that I'll link in the show notes says that um, it, you're more prone to um, dementia if you're in bed, if you go to sleep early, and then if you sleep over eight hours, it'll increase your risk for dementia. I've actually been sort of reading through the um, the actual study itself. I know they found, you know, correlations between, or differences actually between gender and this and that, but I was trying to find like potential flaws in the study, but they don't really list any potential confounding factors, which I was a little bummed about. Um, but it's an interesting thing. I mean, sleep obviously impacts your health one way or the other for sure but is it an underlying condition you may have or yeah i, I was thinking about it from the perspective of through hikers that are you know because they go to bed at you know hiker midnight is considered like when it gets dark it's like time to go to bed so they're always in bed by you know eight o'clock eight thirty at the latest and you know I, I don't know if they tend to sleep more than eight hours or whether whether that makes a difference, but I mean, obviously through hikers do tend to go to bed pretty early. Well, I think there has to be a, some degree of dementia there anyway to even want to through hike. True. <laughs> that is true. But I also think I wonder about these studies. Like, is it, is the, the cause of it, the behavior or is the behavior just more likely to indicate that someone's going to have, like if they're already going to bed early and then they're spending a ton of time in bed, like typically, Mm -hmm. like I know people that spend a lot of time in bed, it tends to be either the, some people are just inherently like they need more sleep, but there's also an element of like depression and mental health that goes into that. So are they just more prone to, you know, if they're going to be in bed for 10 or 11 hours and they're depressed, are they not like, 
using their brain to the point where they 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 experience dementia. I don't know. Yeah, it's super complicated. Yeah, because I'm um, up and at it. Like I'm going. I'm at eight thirty at night. Eight thirty, I go to bed, and then I get up at four thirty. But I'm like thinking the whole time I'm awake. Yeah, that's still a good amount of sleep, though. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, yeah, that's not too shabby. Yeah, exactly. I typically get about eight hours, I guess, but I know for a fact that um, the middle of my sleep is always sort of funky. We've got those damn cats running around causing hell. They're messing with your rim. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh man! And the cats sleeping? The, how many? The cats sleep in your room? They they sleep all over the place. They roam around. They sleep with us. They wake us up. You know, li, you know, Luna, the executive producer tends to sleep with me more than anything and and Daphne aka Bubs the ex- assistant producer is just up all the time it seems just causing trouble all day and all night so I don't know what the hell's going on with her we'll, we'll do a case study with the two cats and see what happens because Luna sleeps all the time are they do they do cats burrow you know like certain dogs they want to like my mother-in-law had a dog a Dalmatian that would burrow like it would have to be like under the covers uh, maybe to a degree, but I mean, Luna for sure loves to get snuggled in really tight, which is super cool for a cat. Um, Bubs on the other hand, nope, like, nope, she's so fidgety, but yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, I don't know if you can maybe post a link. I'll put it, I'll give you the link, but I, I put a, a link in photos, I think screenshots of the report, the SAR data that we went over last week. I put that up on the Facebook page and I actually had some like free credits with Facebook to advertise. I had like $20. I don't know why. I think they, they want to get you like hooked on it. So I just like use those credits to like promote it. So I'm hoping that a bunch of hikers got the information because it's pretty good. Like pretty good set of data there around like search and rescue. No question for the last three years. So Absolutely. Yeah, it was really well done. Just polished. Yeah. You learn anything interesting? No, I, I honestly just skimmed it. I mean, after doing the last episode and um, listening to the whole thing, I, I was just looking at how you set it up because I always appreciate a well done presentation like that. Looks great. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. And I think it, yeah. it's always great because these conversations come up on social media all the time about like, oh, search and rescues are increasing or, you know, this, that or the other. Um, and it's always nice to have data to fall back on to say like, well, you know, it's been pretty consistent as far as media reports go. Mm-hmm. And now Stomp, I think the next part of our opener here, you got a couple of notes on Halloween and shoulder season. Yeah. I looked at our old episodes and I realized that we had started our Halloween show much earlier. <laughs> like Halloween's still a month away, but yeah. I figured, hey, let's tap into it a little bit and have some fun with it. Yep. So people put out their top 10. So this is People Magazine you're talking about. Right, so which I find funny. Like People Magazine is still a thing. <laughs> it's not really a thing. Like they're pretty sad. Like my understanding is, is that People Magazine basically will solicit celebrities to pay them to put in like articles under the guise that they're a news organization, but they're really (laughs) just basically putting in articles for public relations for PR celebrities. So, well, anyway, if that's the case, that biases my uh, outlook on this article, but um, they posted their top 10 Halloween uh, costume ideas for 2022. And a couple of them, actually made sense like um joseph quinn who played eddie munson on stranger things that's a great idea for a costume 
Yeah, like the I feel like getting like the jean jacket and the Hellfire Club t-shirts would be that would be like an awesome um and a wig. Like yeah, but that would be like an awesome sort of group um Halloween costume thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of the group aspect of it, but you're right. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, like five or six different people. Um the next one here was the uh Ryan Gosling and uh Margot Robbie, Robbie who did uh, Barbie. Mm-hmm. Is that movie even out? I didn't know that was out, but it must have just come and gone. I don't know, but as a father of um, three girls, like the Barbie, his the animated Barbie movies were like a huge thing when my kids were little. So, oh, for sure. Know, like I feel like Barbie movies are constantly coming out. Yeah, no question about it. The next one is this is actually a great idea too. Uh, Rooster from Top Gun. So mm-hmm. the it's um, what's it actor's name? Miles Teller. And I don't know who this is, but, um, oh, Alexa Demi from Euphoria, the She-Hulk gal, uh, Taylor Swift at the MTV VMAs. I don't know. I don't know. Either. And a few others. And Elvis, of course. Isn't it funny? It's yeah. It's so horrible. This is basically just, yeah, I'm sure that these some of these shows are like paying people to put them in there because this makes no sense. There's some girl that's like the summer I turned pretty, like she's just dressed like any other 15-year-old girl you'll mm-hmm. see out there. So I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you do Halloween? No. <laughs> no. I don't really either. No. Like my wife so. is cr- my wife's crazy about it. They're actually going to Haunted Happenings in Salem, Mass next weekend for a couple days just to go have a great time. But uh, yeah, I'm not super into it myself, I guess. I don't know why, but... Yeah. I mean, I used to like taking the kids, you know, the kids would dress up, oh, I'd take sure. them around the neighborhood and like we would, I'd make sure they stay out as long as we possibly could and came back with as much candy as we could. And then they would separate the mm-hmm. candy and the colors and the whole deal. So I like that aspect, but like going to Halloween parties. Um, yeah. I did a yeah. lot of that in college. And so you had your fill. Had my fill. Yeah. We used to have <laughs> back in my North Adams days, we had a, my fraternity had a party called Green Machine, which was, we basically <laughs> put tinfoil on the walls. We had this huge frat house. There was like 30 of us living in there. And then we had a basement. And there was like four sections of the basement. And we would put tinfoil on all the walls, like all walls, ceiling, everything. We'd have the pledges put it up. And then we would change all the lights to <laughs> green lights. So like the, in the basement, you've got tinfoil, you've got the green lights. And then we would um, get these like... F- 50 gallon buckets of trash barrels at like I don't even know where what stores they didn't have Home Depot back then but we would get these 50 gallon trash buckets and then we would put grain alcohol um and then like high C punch Holy green moly. high C punch and then like sherbet and we would mix it in this like cauldron of like these these trash barrels and then that would be what's called the green machine drink and then we would serve the green machine drink and um you know it would just be insanity it was like one of the parties of the year for us but we would have probably i don't know 400 500 uh people in the basement and just it was insanity so i think i basically blew up yeah and that's an impressive story oh yeah i mean that's 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 tip of the iceberg in north adams in the the early 90s (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. But we would mm. we would do that. So, um, I just flew too close to the sun with with that stuff nowadays. So uh, I just can't manage it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being in the band through the 90s and we would go to um, Amherst and perform for different you know, fraternities and just house parties and stuff like that. It was crazy back then. But I remember back in even like high school and earlier where that area was just crazy. But then it, I, I don't know how it is today. It must be tamped down a bit, I'm assuming. I know that my school, so my school was known as a party school. So I went to North Adams State. So I wasn't exactly the most academically uh, gifted person. So it was pretty <laughs> easy to get in there. But um <laughs> I think that it just became so wild. Like the, I think the local townsfolk, and now that I'm older and I have a little bit of perspective, I understand it a lot more. But I think the locals um, kind of got sick of the students' nonsense because it was wild and insane back then. And yeah. I think probably Dangerous. late 1990s, early 2000s, like they rebranded the college and they cracked down on the you know Greek life in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a much more mellow place now. But UMass, I, I don't know. I don't know what UMass is like anymore. Who knows? <laughs> Those were the days. Those were yeah, the days. Yeah, sure. All right. So what are you going to dress up as in Halloween this year? Well, I was thinking about it. Like, if I were, it would either be, uh, I don't know if you saw this movie, but uh, Black Phone by, uh, with, with Ethan Hawke. It is, it's pretty awesome. It's a really neat psycho horror uh, type of film. And uh, it's about abduction and just, you know, being locked in a place and all kinds of strange things happen but he wears this like half mask that covers his uh, basically from his upper jaw down and it's just the creepiest looking thing ever and then I was thinking maybe a Targaryen <laughs> yeah I think the Targaryen would be better I think that Ethan Hawke thing's a little bit too obscure yeah I think so but it's a good movie it's a very good movie all right, I'll check that out I'll check it out um, and then, uh, Stomp, you got a note here. Somebody spotted you on, out on the road. What's going on? Apparently, two people were coming down Old Waterville Road um, on Saturday. They, I guess they had done Pine Benbrook and were out. And then, uh, apparently, they saw a brownish Tacoma turning onto Mad River Road at about 5.30. And uh, it's funny uh there's a note here it says this is the same mike who reported the burning area off the algonquin trail that stomp talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago so anyway long story short i think uh listeners are getting warmer they're like they're triangulating and (laughs) locking in on my whereabouts (laughs) i did see somebody else like posted a picture where they they found the old woodpecker restaurant the origin of the woodpecker studio Exactly. That's what I mean. It's like, oh, goodness. And I have to get armed security. You're getting warm. You're getting warm to Stomp's locations yeah, here. Please um, donate so we can buy armed security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Stomp. So just getting into New Hampshire stuff here. So um, we've got the, you put this in here. So the first case of epizootic hemorrhagic disease detected in a white-tailed deer in New Hampshire. What is this? Yeah, I, I believe it's epizootic hemorrhagic oh, yeah. disease. Okay. And apparently it's the first time that they've Fishing Game has discovered a, a deer with this disease. And um, it has been documented in nearby states, but a deer can die of this, um, exhibiting symptoms that include swelling of the head, frothing at the mouth, uh, neck, tongue, or eyelids. I, I guess long story short... If you see a deer like this, obviously 
informed fishing game, but if you happen to uh, score a deer uh, while you're hunting and it has these symptoms, uh, absolutely do not take it home. And uh, You do not want to be eating meat that is infected with this. And I'm curious, it doesn't really say, but I'm curious how it will impact the rest of the uh, deer population in New Hampshire because hunting is such a huge activity up here. Yeah, I wonder if there's an easy way to test it if they they can bring it in, but I don't because it seems sort of like hard. Like if you're gonna, you know, if you're shooting a deer or you're you're shooting it with an arrow, like swelling yeah. of the head, neck, tongue, and eyelids, or frothing at the mouth, like is that because they just got shot, or is it because they've got this EHD disease? I'm not a hunter. Um, I don't think deer would typically exhibit that if they were shot you know, under normal circumstances. I do not claim to be a hunter. Yeah, and this virus is caused by midges, which are these little tiny fly. I haven't really ever ran into midges up in New Hampshire, but I guess they're around. I know, no kidding. Hey, how about something positive? A foliage report. You know, I was thinking driving home today, we have to give an update on the foliage. How's it looking? Here are the numbers. The Great North Woods are about 35% um, changed in color. The White Mountain region is 20% color change. Lakes region is down to about 10. This is interesting. Dartmouth and Lake Sunapee region is 20%. Okay. Midnadnock is 25. Merrimack Valley, 15. Seacoast, 10%. So pretty neat. We'll give you the link to this. It's a, a New Hampshire.gov uh, website. And uh, it's starting to kick in. I'm starting to see it up in the notch and stuff, but it's definitely higher altitude. You can see it just faintly. Got it. So then we're looking yeah. at basically like this weekend, you're going to get some action. If you want to go up far north, you might get a, get a lot of action. And then the weekend of October 8th and 9th, and then the weekend of the 15th and 16th, and then the 22nd, 23rd is where you'll probably. So basically for the next four weeks or so, you'll get some good views. But 22nd, 23rd, 29th, 30th, that's probably going to be more like Squam region and you know down south a little bit. Yeah, and ultimately leading up to uh, Columbus Day weekend, which yeah. is generally the the pop. So I'm cool. talking to Mrs. Stomp about doing a hike. What do you suggest? An overnight, or are you going to do like just no, a day hike? Just, just a day hike. I mean, some places that we've always uh, enjoyed. Remember you and I and Nobby did uh, Owl's Head and Mount Martha? Mm-hmm. That would be a nice one. I'm trying to think of something like that. Well, you know what I would suggest, and I've been actually been thinking about this, is if you guys have never done um, Crawford Resolution and Mount Stairs, yep. that would be a keeper for sure. Hmm. Okay. I'd say check that one out, and then maybe the Moat Mountain Range. You know, go up to um, do Red Ridge, you know, okay. go from Diana's Bath, do Red Ridge, and then up to North Mount Moat, and then come back down. That's a nice day hike. Mm, sounds good. Do you plan to get out for the foliage? Soon, I am. Hopefully? I'm going on the, f- the weekend of the 15th. I'm doing a backpacking trip. And I don't know if we're doing two nights or one night, but um, my friend Tom is going to finish his 48, so we're going to do isolation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I told oh, him wow. to make the plan. It could be that we just go in from Glen Boulder, hit isolation, and then camp out by Rocky Branch somewhere. I told him to you know think about Davis Path and maybe try um, stairs in you know mm-hmm. that campground by Mount Stairs where you've got like the nice ledge there um, or maybe yeah. somewhere close to isolation. I don't really know, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely getting out that weekend and then I'll be, 
I got to travel um, this weekend, but I'll be getting out the following weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. My friends are trying to rope me into a chili cooking competition. <laughs> Have you ever done that? No. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know how much I want to share about this. What's the genesis of this? Oh, God. I don't even know if I want to share this. So I, I'm not on Facebook that much anymore, but I do. I actually I'm not on Facebook really at all, um, but uh, other than like twice a day. But I do, as part of my like adulting life, me and my friends have a Facebook town. We have a town group. So, okay, yeah. You know how yeah. in like, I don't know if you know this, but like Facebook groups is like, there's the group that like has all the rules and, and kicks everybody out because they break the rules. And then there's yeah. the group that like develops because everyone got kicked out of the group that has all the rules. So we've got the group that everyone like, it got developed because everyone got kicked out of the main town group. So oh, as gotcha. part of like, and we just, you know, it's, it's pretty mellow. But um, we got invited to do a chili cooking competition on, I think it's October 8th in our town. It's like the fire department and a bunch of other groups. So I don't know cool. if I'm going to do it because I'm like, I want to go hiking. <laughs> right. So we'll see. Oh, that's a good time though. Community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little community. Amesbury is a nice little town in Massachusetts here. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, all right. So foliage, we've got, we've got foliage for the next like four weeks, which is great. So everyone should get Mm -hmm. excited and you know, it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to get great views. So yeah, no uh, question. moving on to pop culture talk here, Stomp, um, you got an article about somebody from survivor. You want to cover that? Yeah, pretty cool. I had no idea. I, I don't watch the show, but I thought this might be worthy to, to discuss. Um, she's a New Hampshire resident, Noelle Lambert. She's the first amputee. Uh, well, let me restate that. She's determined to become the first amputee to win the show. So, you know, the, the show is basically set up with different various challenges and this and that. And uh, so apparently this will happen yesterday when this show is released. I think the show airs on Thursday. So we'll see how she does. But um, yeah, pretty neat. Um, you know, she has a, a prosthetic leg and um, the 43rd season of the show. Is that yep. a joke? No, oh, no. It's what? been going on. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact that it's been going on that long because the very first season of Survivor, because it was such a huge cultural moment. Um, yeah me and my wife were on our honeymoon and I think that we found a place to like watch the the, the finale of Survivor. So that okay. would have been back in 2000. So it's been going on for 20 years. Gotcha. Or 22 That's years. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So she, she had an interview with a union leader and um, I guess she's from Londonderry. She's 25 and, uh, you know, check out the article. It's pretty neat. She does have a history in the Paralympic Games in Tokyo uh, okay. during the summer of 2021. And uh, she has an, a record for the 100-meter race. So she's pretty pretty talented. Yeah. So uh, I haven't watched I, Every once in a while, like, I'll get stuck on, I don't have something to watch, and I will go on Netflix, and they have, like, Survivor seasons, and sometimes I'll get into it again. So, <laughs> so maybe I'll check this one out. So, yeah. Um, don't embarrass New Hampshire, Noel, if you're listening. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't think she will. 
Yeah, and just in relation to this, I actually had an article that I, I didn't know if I was going to use it or not, but I, I it's 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 in relation to this. So there is a, a group in Maine. Uh, it looks like it's more along the seacoast region in Maine that they are yeah. um, putting together a push to make hiking trails more accessible uh, to all. So there, there's like a lot of building of like plank bridges and things like that. So there's a, a group in Yarmouth, Maine, uh, just mm-hmm. a little bit north of Portland that is finishing like this 11-mile trail called the West Side Trail. And the final section will be accessible to people with disabilities so specifically wheelchairs and there's an activist guy that is in a wheelchair that is talking about sort of like how he's trying to make trails more accessible uh, whenever possible within reason so uh, he wants to be able to open up the outdoors as, as best he can gotcha that's really cool and there's so much going on here in new hampshire in that respect too yeah it's tricky because you you know, there is a lot of like you get deep into the woods. Like I don't know how realistic it is to, um, you know, to make accessible um, trails. But I think close close to trailheads and things like that, they should definitely work as best they can to make that happen. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, just moving on. So I guess me and you are going to do a, a weekly rundown of Rings <laughs> of Power, which is the. Um, Lord of the Rings series, and then House of Dragons. So, uh, Rings of Power, Stomp. What do you What do you got to say so far? I have thoughts. I, I've I've given up on it completely. I mean, I I've been enjoying watching the internet reviews, though they're hilarious. There are so many like Nerdrotic on YouTube and a few other channels that are just savaging this show, and a, I see a, a common thread where people are sort of hating on the uh, Galadriel. Uh, character so for whatever reason like one of one of them was saying that she's actually insufferable it's pretty hard so what are you seeing that would draw such ire in the fans well I think that it's you know they've put her with I think when you have a serious character like that um, the nice thing about like Lord of the Rings series is that you had the hobbits that would provide a little bit of sort of levity to mm-hmm. you know the elves and i don't think that they're giving you know they are following sort of the travelers and the hobbit people in another thread but they're not intermingled with galadriel and the elves at this point so i think it's just so it's a little bit too non-stop uh, yeah it's just heaviness. a little too miserable so um yeah. and they just gotta they just gotta get on the ship and go so it, my understanding <laughs> of the reviews is that everybody sort of has the same common theme awesome cinematography uh, nobody cares about these characters. Nobody understands what's going on, and they need to like start like developing the uh, the storylines a little bit better. But anyway, that sure. is Rings of Power. I'm going to stick with it, but it's not looking good. Jeff Bezos he uh, spent a lot of money on that, and I think he's going to lose some, a lot of money on it. Oh sure, I think I think I mentioned that there's some articles saying that this could kill Amazon, like. Mm really damage them badly what is that yeah. like a billion dollars two billion plus two, two? billion okay yeah. that's a lot of jenga yeah yeah um, but i was gonna say house of dragons is still really fantastic this last uh time jump episode was neat and i found it i we had to watch it twice because the parentage is so complicated you have all these new kids running around and you know on the second watch we we caught it and understood what was happening but gets it's getting complicated yep yeah Rhaenyra is um 
basically hooking up with this um, Harmon Strong guy, and they've got their three kids, and then her husband yep. sort of feels, you know, he's just happy to go off and party with his his guy friends and move on uh, and sure. pretend like they're his kids. And then um, you've got good Queen Allison with her children, which is Eamond and um, I can't even remember the other one. So those the this these groups of cousins are just going to fight. So it's going to get yeah. crazy. Yeah. No spoilers, but there's some neat scenes with the dragons, especially one of the older dragons. Like, wow. Yeah, super cool. Exactly. Yeah. And you get, I mean, you just have your wiki page ready and do your research <laughs> and stop the, the, you know, you gotta, there's many characters. So it's good. Yeah. And we, we were looking at the genealogy and it, we're still way, way back. But, Nowhere near the current Game of Thrones in terms yeah. of, you know, the generations. Exactly. So, um, good stuff. Yes. And are you, you, you're pronouncing everybody correctly? <laughs> yeah. This is my Musalak, my Mike Musalaki Musalak moment. Like, those names are tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rhaenyra, I, I've got that, Rhaenyra, but the other ones. Mm. Yeah, you use stuff. a Boston accent. So, all right. Yeah. So, Rhaenyra. Um, yeah, exactly. So, sponsors and coffee talk. So, we had um, one donation actually. Jeff Lacotte donated 10 coffees, which is wow. fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, and we want to plug Spinner's Pizza Parlor. I got to say, a lot of people are starting to show up uh, at Spinner's, and it's super cool for Mrs. Stomp and I. Just seeing everybody support them is fantastic. Um, oh, one person came in and was wondering, like, they listened to one episode apparently, and they were wondering where the hike talk was because of our lengthy intros. Sorry. <laughs> And now the person is addicted to the intro, so I guess that's a good thing. We're going to talk a lot. We're going to talk a lot about hiking, so just stick around. Oh hell yeah, yeah! Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Spinners is right in Andover, Mass, right off of uh, Dascom Road, Route ninety three. So when you're heading home after your hike, stop on by, say hi to Dolls and Pops, and uh, they're number one hand spun thin crust Italian pizza and homemade sauce. So it's really great. Uh, EMS, thank you for your support. Your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. And apparently they have a new store in Burlington. Did you see that? No, I did not. I'm going to go check I, that I out. believe it's Burlington, but it uh, looks fantastic. So congrats on that. And uh, let's say thank you to At Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft, beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch. Many 4,000 footers in less than 10 minutes from the five corners. Very good. Very good. So welcome to episode 76 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. So this week we are discussing discussing shoulder season. So we're going to talk a little bit about the transition from summer into fall. Weather's changing. Fall is on its way. And we want to recap some advice and feedback on how to approach um, shoulder season with safety and fun in mind. Uh, later in the show, we'll really get uh, get us into the fall season when we rehash some Halloween ideas tied to hiking in New Hampshire. And then we also have some recent search and rescue news um, to wrap up with. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started in a Boston accent here. So are you drinking anything <laughs> good? Anything pumpkin? Uh, let's see. I <laughs> No. <laughs> pumpkin beer. I don't even think I've ever tried a pumpkin beer, but I have a... Uh, this is provided by Mrs. Stomp, actually. She uh, got me a fiddlehead from Shelburne, Vermont, the Fiddlehead Brewing Company. 
and it is, if I could see it, I'm going blind. <laughs> Please store cold. Is that the name of it? <laughs> no, no, that's not it. So it's an IPA, and that's all I can get out of it. It doesn't have a name. It's just, oh, oh, it's called Second Fiddle. There it is. I found it, Second okay. Fiddle. So it's pretty tasty. That's good. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. I have an uh, IPA from Riverwalk Brewing Company. So Riverwalk is, I believe this is the brew, brewery that's located in Newburyport, right on the, um, Newburyport has these nice rail trails, like um, yeah. paved trails that you can walk. So you can actually walk from downtown Newburyport to Riverwalk Brewing. And um, it's similar setup to like Reckless, like they got the outdoor games and they got outdoor seating and stuff. So it's a really nice Nice area down there. So I got a just a local beer from from Riverwalk. Nice. Oh, yes. and by the way, tomorrow is uh, Sober October. This is Sober the last October hurrah. starts on Saturday. Saturday. Right? Yeah, Saturday. Okay. So I'm still in. Yeah, I'm in so. too. Although Saturday, I don't. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Can I do Sober October starting on Sunday? Sure, I won't. Uh, I won't see. be upset. I'll, I'll report back next next uh, <laughs> okay. next episode. I'll let you know. So. Snuck up on us, huh? Yeah. Well, I cheated at Sober October last year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I did too. Because I finished the the four, I did that list thing where I finished the four thousand footers, fifty two with a view, and terrifying twenty five. So I, I think I had a beer in celebration. Oh sure, yeah, that's well worth it. All right. Uh, so, any recent hikes for you, Mrs. Stump and I got out to. Um, Smartsbrook, which is right down the road from us, just for a little first day of fall hike. And we just ventured around some of the spurs and this and that. And uh, it was a nice time. But, you know, honestly, my life has just been so busy lately. So um, that's it. I hope to get out soon, but it may be actually another week or two. <laughs> yeah. So. Well. You're gonna to have to because I'm not. I'm not hiking this weekend. I got to travel, but I didn't get out last weekend either. But I did tally up my hikes for the summer, and I, I got mm-hmm. out a lot. So yeah, no can give you the rundown of everything that I hiked in the last three months. Let's check it out. All right, and you can just jump in and comment if you've been on any of these. So I did East and West Royce, which is in the Evans Notch, and I did that as a solo trip, and that's a fantastic hike. Um, so I did South Moat. Mm-hmm. That was uh, with my nephew, JT, and I gave him a trail name called Hawaii. I call him a Hawaiian Punch now. Um, I hiked Burnt Meadow in Brown, in uh, Brownfield, Maine. Yeah. I did Caribou Mountain in Evans Notch. South Baldface with uh, Mindy and Beth Lynn and uh, my McLaughlin family crew. So that was good. And then I did Mount Washington via Huntington, I did Jefferson via Caps Ridge, I did Webster and Jackson with my daughter, and then I did the Pemi Loop Peaks, so I did eight right. of those, and then Timber Camp, Good Goodrich Rock, which I did with you, well, yeah, for the skyline, yep, and then Chicora, and then Monroe, and I would say out of those, so that was like three months worth of hiking. I would say out of those, like the Mount Washington trip via Huntington is always a highlight. Mm-hmm. Webster Jackson with my daughters was fun, and then uh, South Baldface and the Pammy Luke. So had a lot of good, a lot of good times. I um I really like Monroe. It's sort of like the the underdog. It gets sort of neglected because you have the attraction of the uh, 
the the water there and the hut and stuff like that. But Monroe is that's a super cool little mountain. I'm actually thinking about. I got to do the math on this and really see what the road walk looks like. But I was almost thinking about maybe trying to do like a loop via Amanusik and then go up Monroe and then come back across, grab Eisenhower and then come down Edmonds and then make a big loop and walk, road walk back to Amanusik. Walk it back. Yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's totally set up. What is that? Carter? Carter Road there. No, oh, Clinton. Clinton Road. Mount yeah. Clinton Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carter. Yeah. yeah so, I that know. sounds awesome. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that'll be a winter adventure for me. I don't know. Hmm. Not a bad idea because those yeah. roads are typically closed. Yeah. But I love be. that like flat section between uh, Monroe and Eisenhower, like that whole, I think it's Mount Franklin or whatever, that little yeah. tablelands area there. And then there's like little Monroe. And yeah, that whole area is really cool. Oh, it's beautiful. It is so. Uh, that's what the, that's what's going on for hiking right now. But like I said, I got that I got that overnight trip planned on isolation, and then I'll probably get out the weekend of the eighth to mm-hmm. do something um, foliage related. Sounds good. Hey, we have um, one notable hike, and uh, I guess she'll be the winner. Okay. Vicky takes a hike, did isolation via Glen Boulder, which you know you and I did with Chaga back yep. in the day. It's a beautiful approach to isolation. Congrats, that's a good time. Thanks for tagging us. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. Very good, very good. So segment one here, we're going to talk about shoulder season here, Stomp. So I just... Mm-hmm put together a list of things that people need to think through when they're hiking around this time of the year. So you're you're changing out your pack from, you know, super light, like really just bringing like a, a raincoat and maybe like a light fleece. You've got to switch it out to like all your layers at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess the first thing I wanted to find out from you is like when you're dealing with like higher elevation and you've got ice and freezing, I definitely have heard people say like, oh, should I bring micro spikes at this point in time in the year? What should I use for footwear? Like, do you have any thoughts around that? I I think you have to now. Maybe not the the intense, you know, one inch tooth hill sounds, but for sure your micro spikes, you have to. No question about it. Especially this year. It seems like it's kicking in earlier, but it's always good to have that stuff. I know it weighs more, but... That's life, because all it takes is one slip if you're dealing with frost-covered ground and rime ice. Yeah, I think my struggle with that is that the um, if you're going to use microspikes this time of the year, you just have to go in with the understanding that like they're going to get absolutely hacked because you know you're going to mm-hmm. be going in between ice and rocks and. You know, it, it really depends. Like I, I have sort of I err on the side of like sticking with my sneakers and. You know, I won't put those on unless I've got a good solid distance of ice that I'm going to be walking on. Mm-hmm. Usually this time of the year, you get a lot of like freeze and then melt. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. a very complicated time. It's tricky. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, I think it depends on the, the level of precipitation out there. Like I've seen some videos recently from Mount Washington that are pretty intense. You know, I would not want to be up there right now with what they're experiencing without those available yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is it's 
you have to have a little bit of a perspective change, especially if you're a peak bagger and you're going after mountains, especially if you're like, you've got like between 10 and 30 peaks that you bagged, especially like you get more confident when you're up in those like 20 to 30 that you've done. And now you're sort of at the point where like you really want to just like make sure that you get to the peak every time you get out there. You just have to go into this time of the year with the understanding that like if the weather turns bad, you have to be willing to turn back because it, it can get very, um, you know, it can get sketchy this time of the year, especially it can lull you in because you do have a little bit warmer weather. But if you experience wet, you know, if you experience rain, you know, 40 degree day where you're wet is more dangerous than a 10 degree day when uh, when it's dry yeah agreed yeah. what um what adjustments do you make to your uh, your pack and your gear i will typically switch over to my winter pack right about now um again just preparing and getting ready for the colder weather now i'm carrying my my down jacket my gore-tex uh outer jacket Multiple pairs of gloves. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just like the room and the ease of getting into a larger pack and finding things as opposed to using my summer pack and stuffing all that stuff in there makes it impossible to figure out where all your stuff is. So I like to go big for the pack, um, even though it's probably a little baggy on the inside. Yeah, and I typically will stick with my 22, uh, 25 liter pack. Uh, but I'm cramming shit in there. Like, it's just like I got yeah. hats and gloves. And then I'm I'm bringing where I would typically just have like a light fleece and a light raincoat. I'm now switching over to my sort of standard fleece down jacket and and then my um, my shell. So I've got I've got all three layers on there. And a lot of times I don't end up using any of them because I'm I'm. How about uh, a second backup layer, like a micro fleece or something like that? Do you start packing that stuff now? Typically, like I'm wearing like a t-shirt and then like a long sleeve wicking shirt. Mm-hmm. And then I've got like a, a grid fleece that I wear and then a down jacket and then the shell. So that's in a lot of times, like if I'm down to the t-shirt, like that means I got four layers on my pack, gotcha. which is enough. So, oh, sure. Yeah. And I'll usually, like, I won't bring, like, my three layers of gloves. I'll typically just bring, like, my my wool gloves that I use that just sort of flip over there, like mittens, but gloves at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And then footwear stomp. I, I think you mostly wear boots when you hike anyway, so it doesn't matter for you. But I do trail runners, and then I typically will not switch over to boots until there's snow on the ground, like appreciable snow. So I'm wearing trail runners. But I'm also taking the perspective that if I get above tree line and I've got any level of like snow or crazy ice or anything like that, I'm just turning back. So mm-hmm. if you're not going to take that perspective, then you probably want to be in boots if it's going to get too crazy up, up up above tree line. Yeah. I run hot, so I'll wear my um, A Solo uh, Fugitives well into the winter um, just for regular hikes and this and that but when I do have to put uh, snowshoes on I will switch over to my leather A-Solos which are sort of like a a poor man's lemur (laughs) 
you know, the lemur boots, mm-hmm. which are fantastic. They're great. Uh, Gore-Tex, waterproof, super warm. But when it comes to above tree line, if I had a, it's, I, I get into these patterns because of the missions and this and that. But um, if I have to go above tree line, I'll generally um, switch over to my Danner. So I have a really nice pair of leather Danners that are, uh, I forget what grades to insulate, but they're super warm, and you can throw on your your snowshoes without a problem. And all the time, I, in terms of socks, I'll just generally have a pair of wool socks on, like a, a, a minus thirty three style type of wool sock that's comfortable. I don't typically do the inner liner socks. I just again, I run hot as long as I'm moving. I will have a, an, a spare in the bag though just in case, but uh, generally I'm just one pair of socks and then I rotate between those three pairs of boots as I need to. Yeah, and honestly, like I do try to avoid going um, to sort of the the high peaks this time of the year when I can because there's just too much cool foliage down low to force me up you know what i mean like it's a yeah and it's i also have the luxury of like i'm not chasing a list and i you know i've 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 done these and i get it like if you're like chasing a list then it's a different situation different mindset but for the most part like if you're okay with it and you sort of look at it to say like you know i don't need to do any peak bagging stuff for me Mm -hmm. like i would much rather like i was talking about like crawford and in resolution, like those are not going to get hit with like ice, like Mount Washington would. Like, yeah. you know, you're much better off checking those out. There's so much cool things like the Moat Mountain Range. You can go check out like the Sandwich Range, the Ossipes, uh Squam Range. Like those oh, are all fantastic. Yeah, there you're not going to deal with any of that icing over stuff for you know November, December's when you're going to have to worry about it there. And I want to throw in uh, the Scour. At Waterville Valley is a beautiful foliage spot. Just to backtrack for a second, because mm-hmm. it's it's all just beautiful hardwoods. There's very few uh, pine, so that's a neat spot to add onto your foliage list. But you're right, yeah. Low is where it's at. Mount Crosby, Ball Peak. I mean, all these low ones offer beautiful views and great, great stuff without having to worry about the above tree line risks. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and then a couple of other things. Avoid, uh, this this ties into what we were just talking about. So avoiding crowds and tourist areas. So it's fall foliage season. I'll link in the show notes our fall foliage recommendations from last year. Everything holds the same. Like I, I sort of went through, and I think you, you gave some of your insight as well, like some of the places that you can go that are less crowded. For me, the things that I remember from that show was talking about sort of like don't sleep on Western Maine, like Mount Cube. And that area there is great, like Black Mountain, Blueberry, um, sort of that area, the lower peaks of the 52 of the views, those are definitely worth checking out during foliage season. They're not going to be as crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll link that in the show notes, and I definitely recommend people li- listen to that show again. Yeah. And then from a safety perspective, Stomp, I had here in some notes, so it's getting it's getting dark out earlier so i think sunset is like around a little after six o'clock at this point which is so depressing it's also getting a little bit more slippery because there's leaves on the ground and then you've got icing over and higher elevations so you got to watch out for those slip and fall situations yeah it's very common Another reason why sometimes those little micro spikes are good that's true that's true and october is the busiest month for search and rescue calls 
yes, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. And then um, other areas, like I talked about Western New Hampshire, mm-hmm. Evans Notch is definitely worth checking out. It's it's not going to be crowded. The Mahoosics farther north are definitely going to be worth checking out as well. Not going to be as crowded in that area. So um, take a look at Grafton Notch. If you haven't been up there, it's worth it to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Percy Peaks. Nash Percy Stream Peaks. is in a really nice spot. Yep. Exactly. And then from my perspective, I feel like this time of the year is the best time of the year to go backpacking because it it, it sort of expands your your skills and ability when it comes to backpacking because you're not sort of f- doing a full uh, winter overnight situation, but you are experiencing like really cold nights and it's really mm-hmm. a good time for you to dial in your gear Make sure that you've got enough that if you did want to do a winter overnight in the dead of winter, you can, you know, you can test out your gear in this time of the year where you're, you know, you're getting down into the 30s, maybe the high 20s at night. And then, you know, you're not, you just don't have to worry about like the snow that much. Yeah. And in terms of accessories, um, this is when you want to start thinking about the good lithium batteries, you know, even though it's not as cold as it will be, battery life is impacted in these colder uh, situations you know protect your cell phone with whatever method you have i love the whole toe warmer approach where you stick the toe warmers on either side of your phone and i think that Mm -hmm. works really well stick it in your pocket uh let's see what else hand warmers just in case it's not a bad idea to have a couple of those around and um you know all your basic safety stuff i mean if you're gonna if you're going to be facing a greater risk of slipping and falling. You want that splint to be in there. I know you love, uh, what splint do you carry typically? Um, God, I know you're going to ask me that. I forget. <laughs> Sam splint. Sam splint. Sam splint. Yes. Yeah. Or at least, you know, ace wrap and this and that, or, or athletic tape, just something to stabilize a, an ankle. Should you tweak it on the way down? Now, remember, you always want to try to self extricate if you can, but yeah. And if you yeah. are going to trip and fall and like twist your ankle, like, can you just make sure that I'm there? Because I've been carrying that damn splint for three years now <laughs> and I never have gotten a chance to use it. Oh, don't jinx yourself. Yeah, I never get to, I'm like, I keep waiting for like to be the hero, to stumble upon somebody that's got like a twisted ankle and I'm going to like be like, hold on, I've got everything covered. I'm going to save the day. And it never happens. Oh man. And it'll be a listener too. They'll be like, oh, Mike. Oh yeah, and they'll be like, you know, they'll be like, yeah, this guy, he's like mumbling about how he has a podcast and he's so excited to help. (laughs) That's too funny. Um, Yeah. So that's all I've got. Yeah, yeah. And then I just had some additional uh, foliage call out. So Middle Sugarloaf, that's a great place to take people, especially if they haven't hiked before. Foliage is awesome from there. I always love the moats. So if you want somebody that hasn't hiked a lot, you can get up to South Moat pretty easily. Um, we were on Mount Cannon last year for foliage down into the Franconia Notch. That's awesome. Willie Tom Field, Webster Jackson, that whole area there is great to go check out Mount Avalon. So mm-hmm. there's a ton of foliage spots, but those are the ones that like stand out to me. Sure. And on this western side, you can hit Mount Pemigewasset. Yep. You yep. can hit Rattlesnake. But, I, you know, I really like the idea. See, when we did the Squam Traverse, we didn't go far enough. But when you get to Webster Slide, which is on the um, 
you think of the orientation, the, the southern side of that traverse, mm-hmm. there's actually a bench up there which overlooks the lakes, and uh, it's fantastic. And one other one that just came to mind, Red Hill Fire Tower, which is down around like Moulton Borough or in that area, like Center, center Harbor, I believe. Fire towers are awesome, awesome for foliage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Kearsarge North is another one. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Um, and then cool. just, the, I guess, just to put a bow on this shoulder season discussion, you know, and going back to what we, you just talked about with the Squam Range, like me and Stomp did the Squam Range. We were the last ones on Sandwich Notch Road, I think, on that side before they shut the road down. So mm-hmm. late season, like follow the follow the foliage, you know, is Sandwich Range, Ossipies, Squam Range, even as far into like early November, those areas will still get a little bit of color and they're worth checking out. Yeah. Good, man. Nice stuff. That's it. And don't break your shoulder during so- shoulder season. <laughs> it is a weird term, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, um, all right, so moving on to segment two here, we're talking about Haunted New Hampshire Stomp. So I think Woo-hoo. we'll do this quick because we've covered a lot yeah. of these in another episode, and I'll 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 post the I'll, I'll post the previous Halloween episode we did in the show notes so that you can listen to it again. But you had a couple of scary movies here that, and you already talked about one of these, but I don't know if you want to run these down. Well, I mean, I, I, why is Halloween Halloween out again? Halloween is still running. I cannot believe that. So, in terms of like scary movies, I think my favorites were the the Conjuring series about uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. That series was really great. A lot of jump scares and this and that. I did mention Black Phone with Ethan Hawke. It's uh, psycho psycho horror, and I'm hearing a lot of rumors that that movie Note by uh, what is it Jordan Peele is a fantastic movie for uh, jumps, but I have not seen it, but I'm hoping to get out there soon. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Um, Scary movies, like I don't watch a ton of those. I mean, I think Poltergeist is always one of my favorites. It's not really a Halloween, but it's a scary movie. Good call. Um, But I like like The Nightmare Before Christmas. I like um, the one with the three witches. What's that one called? Oh, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. No, dude, that's why Mrs. Stomp is going to Salem this weekend. She's a yeah. Hocus Pocus fanatic. Yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like that. It's a good, good, clean fun. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's those are the big ones that I I can think of for scary movies. So, have you been to any of these regional like haunted happenings? Like you have Scream Fest. I've been uh, to Scream Lake. Fest. I've been to Scream Fest in Canopy Lake. I think that that is a great place to go if you're like a 14 year old boy, 15 year old boy looking for girl girls to meet. Then that is the place to go. If you're an adult, I think it's <laughs> it's fun, but just it's expect little... to be, you know, covered with like or surrounded by like every kid in the Merrimack Valley is going to be at Scream Fest on the weekends. Gotcha. Well, so like Spooky World. I've never been to Spooky World, but that. Would seems to be more of the the adult location perhaps yeah, yeah i think nightmare so. new england um yeah and then salem yeah obviously like where you guys are going in salem is is you know i would say avoid salem on a weekend if you if you're going to go like try to go on a weeknight and maybe it won't be as crazy but it's going to be i mean the whole month is just insane there yeah do you remember what episode we did halloween last year by any chance um, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. 
Okay, because we did cover a lot of these, like Doc Benson, the Mount Musilaki story is incredible. Um, the Devil Monkeys you covered. Yep. Give me the willies. Yeah, we uh, talked about I, that story. We we covered Campton, the the Blair Bridge, but I I found one that's uh, Lake of the Clouds. Did you ever see this one? I think we talked about that one before, but um, really, I don't know. It's isn't that weird. I think this must be like a, a is this a story that like the crew will tell visitors to as part of their entertainment? I don't know. Apparently, the AMC. Um, has its origins in tragedy, according to the article. The hut was built on a site that was originally a shelter built in 1901 uh, in response to the death of two hikers. So what they're saying here is that um, there may be some spiritual activity going on because it's the location of <laughs> a tragedy, unfortunately. So there's a presence that roams around the area around the hut and visits those who would stay within it. <laughs> I bet you that that is a story time that the crew puts together for visitors. As a matter of fact, I need next year. I have it on my bucket list. Like I'm going to take my wife and and the kids when we are going to do a night on in Lake of the Clouds because I was I stopped in there when I was on Monroe, and I was like, yeah, we have to stay here one of these nights. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I did notice you put in one that there, there was a recent murder in. It's a great one, New Hampshire on. Um, on Halloween, so this is kind of creepy. So if you yeah, let's check it out. Yeah, so this was a New Hampshire teen was sentenced to spend fifty years behind bars after he admitted to brutally murdering his father with a hammer on Halloween night in twenty nineteen. So That's nineteen recent. year old, yeah, recent, yeah. Oh, He's yeah. in Antrim, New Hampshire. So um, fifty years to life in prison for killing his forty. So nineteen year old Joseph Beam of Antrim. He was uh, sentenced to 50 years to life in prison for killing his father, Jason Beam, who was 41, uh, by repeatedly striking him with a hammer and stabbing him with a knife. What a nightmare. Dude, Um, that's messed up. Totally messed up. So I think he was hearing like voices in his head. You know, he was planning to actually kill his entire family, but after he went through with killing his father, he, I guess, sort of changed his perspective and... You know, I think that there's clearly some mental illness that's going on here. Matter of fact, we had an incident similar to this in Amesbury, another mentally ill um, young person that killed their family member. I think in in our town it was a a son that maybe killed the mother, I believe. So it's just a sad, Mm -hmm. you know, mental illness is obviously like something that's pretty scary, but he was hearing voices in his head and he, you know, he was then 17 years old. So now he's going to do 50 years in prison. Awful. scary and That's some of the quotes from him at trial were like oh i miss my dad and i can't believe where, where is he and oh boy yeah yeah i mean i That's think awful. that there's like a you know mental illness like families try to deal with it as best they can but sometimes it's just like gets so out of control that this stuff happens so um yeah. very creepy oh yeah I, I have one other one that is new i think it, do you know about the the stone throwing devil no. Okay, so this is pretty neat. This devil is called a lithobolia. And according to the story, in 1682, George Walton in the town of Newcastle, New Hampshire, was afflicted by a lithobolia. And apparently this little devil, dun, dun, 
rocks. He would throw rocks and stones against their home and also inside the house. In addition to the occupants being personally attacked. So it's uh, pretty interesting. There's a, a neat little picture of the little guy here with horns and his legs crossed. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going to love it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a brief little write-up. I did discover this New Hampshire history blog. It's Cow Hampshire. So we'll link it all up for you to check out. But Cow Hampshire is a very interesting blog with all kinds of interesting history and uh, you know reports about people that have died and and crushed and all kinds of weird stuff so you might get a kick out of it I'll check it out and and of course like they blamed it on like a a neighbor woman and said (laughs) she was a witch like you know of course women just didn't have it hard enough back then and now they're getting blamed for some some guy so right so that's it so have fun everybody uh we're probably gonna move on to search and rescue yeah yeah happy Halloween stop yeah happy Halloween This is hot off the presses. Yeah, yeah. This is a renowned mountaineer, Hillary Nelson's body found on Manislu. So after going missing on Monday while descending the summit, Nelson was found by a search and rescue team. So where is Manislu here? It's in Nepal. Nepal. Yeah, 26,781-foot mountain. So on Wednesday, rescue was located the body of missing mountaineer Hillary Nelson on the south slope of Manislu. Um, so Nelson 49 was skiing down from the peaks of the peaks to summit with uh, her hiking partner, Jim Nelson, when she fell off the mountain a few meters below the top, according to her outfitter, um, which is a a Nepal trekking company. So Mm -hmm. her partner explained that on September 26th at 10.42 a.m., we reached the true summit of Monslu. In tough conditions, we quickly transitioned from climbing to skiing in cold and wind with a plan to ski around the corner and regroup with our Sherpa team. I skied first, and after a few turns, Hillary followed and started a small avalanche. Um, She was swept off her feet and carried down a narrow slope down the south side of the mountain over 5,000 feet. Wow, Um, 5,000 feet. Wow. Unbelievable. yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfa- unfathomable. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, right. He said he did everything he could to locate her, was unable to go down the face as I had hoped to find her alive and, and live my life with her. So I, I don't know what the relationship is there. Yeah. The update today is that, uh, you, do you remember 14 Peaks on Netflix, yeah. I believe it was? Mm-hmm. So Nims Die, I don't know if his guiding company was involved with her directly, but his guiding company, he himself and others from his company were involved with the recovery of the body. So if you follow Nims on um, Instagram, you'll, you'll see all the latest pictures and this. Okay. Know, it's pretty intense, but uh, okay. yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a risky proposition to be running around up there in those, those high peaks in the Himalayas. So yeah, unfortunately, it's not great. Um, so moving on to something a little bit more positive here. A boy was attacked by a brown bear in Alaska. 
So nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> why would that be positive? I don't know. I don't know why I said that. But a nine-year-old was seriously injured when a bear attacked him Tuesday night near Palmer, Alaska. So kid had been hunting for a moose with family members. And um, they came upon a brown bear with a cub. So the older bear mauled the boy. And um, the father, the 41-year-old man that he was with, shot and killed the animal during the attack. So um, there's a relationship there. I don't know if it's the father or an uncle or something. Now, think about that. That's like if you can imagine a bear on top of a little boy. They're both very small, so the, the father shot. So it's one of those like Hollywood moments where you, you take the shot or not, because you could take out both of them. I'm just trying to figure that one out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what if he hit the kid? Seriously. Like, it's pretty intense. And yeah. you're running on pure adrenaline at that moment. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And then the, so they killed the bear and then the cub ran off, but apparently it's an older cub. So the officials believe like it's maybe in its second. I think with the deal with bears is that they have their cubs. The cubs will stick around for two seasons and then once they have another once the cubs are like a year and a half or so i think that's when they they go off on their own or something so roman yeah so they were looking around for the the cub but they they couldn't find it so they they think that it's okay Hmm. okay then we have another bear encounter where this hiker encountered a bear on trail and she decided to just take the buddhist route and stand there peacefully and not let the bear bug her. So it worked pretty well. There's a video that you can watch, and it shows the bear walking right by her. <laughs> this was in Sierra Madre, so it was a massive bear, too. So that's interesting. Yeah, I'll check that out. I've seen a couple of those types of videos. Like, there's another video going around where there are, like, there's three trail runners, and the bear, they just sort of stand still, and the bear picks one of them and starts, like, poking at it. And... um tries to take a bite out of her thigh and she kind of moves out of the way and the bear takes off but it, that that's a that's a system i think with a with a black bear you can try the don't move and don't don't engage with them system if you want pretend you're a tree i'm probably just going to throw them my food and run away <laughs> i i think that works why would that not work well it works but it also like it's a death sentence for the bear so uh, yeah, I guess so. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think about this a lot when I'm solo hiking. I'm like, kind of like, all right, I would probably <laughs> throw a rock at them if they get too close. And then if they really got close, I would have food close by and I'd throw it away, hoping that they would chase after it and then try to briskly walk away and then hope that they didn't keep following. But I got a feeling that they probably would if you gave it food. Yeah, that's probably true. Anyway, hopefully I want to figure that out. 81-year-old, next story is 81-year-old hiker narrowly dodges California wildfire during coast-to-coast trek. So, um, 81-year-old hiker, already gone 4,000 miles on the westbound route of the nation's only coast-to-coast trail, which stretches from Delaware to California. So, she had kicked off her journey in 2015 and had been working on doing section hikes. Mm -hmm. So... I guess she ran into a wildfire here and, and, and had to well, deal with some closures in California, right? Yes, it's the mosquito fire. It was labeled mosquito fire, which consumed 41,000 acres at the time. It was yeah. rapidly spreading. 76,000 acres were burned, 60% yeah. contained. 
So this person was pretty lucky. Um, yeah, and she's doing the American Discovery Trail is what it is here. Which is so, what exactly? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that is. It goes from um, Delaware to California. So it's the only coast-to-coast trail. Huh. So I'm going to have to ask Arlette if this is something she's got on her, her radar. Wow. Oh, exactly. I was thinking that. But check this out. This this hiker is amazing. So she's a retired pastor, a physical therapist, and grandmother of 10 who grew up in Washington, Puliap, Washington. Always had a love of the outdoors, and um, she had a passion that began when she became a Girl Scout in the fifth grade. Oh, hey, Mrs. Stomp. Want to say hi? Hey, I was just bringing you another beer. Oh, that's true love. <laughs> what a queen. <laughs> Thank you, dear. You're welcome. <laughs> I have her trained so well. Mrs. Stomp makes an appearance. <laughs> Just teasing people. Don't worry. Yep. yep. But yeah, 81 years old, <laughs> hiking across the country. Very impressive. Hopefully our knees will hold out so we can do that someday, Stomp. <laughs> oh, that would be excellent. Yep. Good for her. 80s. Like, wow. Yep. Just crushing it. Exactly. All right. So we want to get local here in New Hampshire. We've got... Going local. We've got like five or six people. Yeah. Can I start with the first one? Go ahead. Go ahead. Because the first one is the last one, and I just think it's sort of curious. You have a, an, speaking of 80-year-olders, you have an 82-year-old man in Winchester that uh, was missing. So long story short, we have somebody that disappears uh, at about 535, Fishing Games Informed. Uh, this individual, 87 years old, um, went out driving on his ATV, and Every agency in the universe was called up to find this guy. And guess what happened? He was abducted by aliens. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, he, he was found safe. He was just standing by his ATV because he ran out of gas. Like, oh. So anyway, there you go. He's fine. They found him at like 2 a.m. And um, he ran out of gas. But it's just a, sort of a curious story. There was a light rain going on. I mean, he was treated for mild hypothermia. So there you go. So you're out in the rain. You know, it, it, generally with these ATVs and even snowmobiles, you, you should be packing all your stuff with you too, just in case the weather changes. So that, I guess that's a, a little takeaway of the story, but there you go. Yeah, this guy must have been like, it's so Winchester, New Hampshire. So that must be like, it's Rattleboro, Vermont, and Northfield, Mass. So it must be like on the corner of like Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Maybe down by Dartmouth or something. I guess, yeah. Maybe something even like that. So somebody's yeah. got to take the keys away from Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> or fill up the tank for him anyway. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. So, um, yeah. All right. So we'll do a hiking one here. So this is Lost Hikers Guided from Cotton Mountains. We talk about this a lot around, you know, we don't see, we don't get a lot of these media reported, but like sometimes people will have to get guided out over the phone. So Wednesday, September 21st, 740 PM, New Hampshire Fishing Game was notified of two lost hikers near Cotton Mountain and Holderness. I don't know where this is, Tom. Do you know where this I is? I don't either. Yeah. But Holderness is right down the road. Yeah, I'll have to check so, it out. So. This is definitely Lakes Region Search and Rescue's territory. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the lost hikers were identified as two 17 year olds from Brooklyn, New York, 
So they decided to hike the Cotton Mountain Trail in Holderness. After reaching the top, they became disoriented and were unsure how to return to the base. So um, typically what you want to do in these situations is come back the same way that you made it up up there. So just sort of backtrack on the same trail that you took. But, you know, I guess there was limited visibility, dense cloud cover, and wet yeah. conditions. So they it was determined to have them stay in place and await rescuers. And I guess conservation officers were able to quickly locate them. All right, so this was actually, they did have to go out and get them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this wasn't a, they were directing them back. So I'll have to check that out. I don't know where Cotton Mountain is. That's a new one. Okay, so it says here it's off of Route 113, and it's a, there's a small parking lot. It follows Woods Road moderately to an open sandy area, and then it climbs steeply to the summit over small switchbacks, and it's 1,200 feet high. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And it's, uh, I guess it's, it's like really right in the uh, Squam Lakes Association territory. Okay. Oh, cotton. Wait a minute. That I think that's the one that's right at the tail end of the Squam Traverse. Oh, is it? I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty certain. Yep. Oh yeah, I have it on my. Oh yeah. So, yeah, that's so what... do you remember you and I met for that traverse and that icy parking lot? That's Cotton mm-hmm. Mountain, where we parked and decided to move up a little further. Got it. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're like right off the road here. Oh, for sure couple of flatlander youngsters getting lost. <laughs> Can I say that even though I'm a flatlander? From, from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, from Brooklyn. So, What's the New York accent? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, But at what point am I allowed to like call somebody a flatlander? <laughs> like you probably can't because you've been living up there, but I can't. I can't really flat, so. All right. So this next one, um, I was reading about this when I was interested. So, um, this is a missing hiker that was injured on the Great Gulf Trail. So 61-year-old hiker from New Hampshire had suffered two separate leg injuries while hiking up the trail on Friday. So she was on the Great Gulf Trail. She was with two other family members and a friend. They were planning on doing a multi-day hiking and camping trip. They intended on hiking at um, a location further up the trail, but they had an injury. So they ended up setting up camp at this place called the Bluff which is approximately two and a half miles from the Great Gulf parking lot. So the victim had stayed at this location all day on Saturday and was prepared to stay multiple days in order to hike out on her own. But the pain and inability to walk for any length of time caused her to reassess this situation. So by Sunday morning, they had um, they had decided to call 911, and that, that activated Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue, Lakes Region, and the U.S. Forest Service, so um, along with some conservation officers, responded to the call. So I think, I think the bluff is when you go into the Great Gulf, you go past the Osgood, Osgood tent site. I think that this is the campsite that is over the second bridge that takes you to Madison Gulf, and then you take like a little right like you're going to Six Husbands, and then there's a campground. There's a there's a uh, camping place right there. I think that that's where the bluff is. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I know the area, but I'm not sure myself. I was thinking yeah. it was that first drop down to the right where you get over towards uh, Dolly Cop and Osgood, 
in that area? It's near Osgood, but I think that it's over that little, like there's a second bridge that you go over to get to like the Madison Gulf Trail or continue on the Great Gulf. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure that that's what it is, is it's that campground that you go by when you're going up the Madison Gulf area. But anyway, it's it's somewhere near the Osgood tent site as well. Sure. So, but I guess so. she was like, "I'm gonna stick around. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recover and then walk out." But it just didn't happen. So two and a half miles. Uh, but that's a good area because you can get an ATV up there pretty far. Uh, so I think they were able to get an ATV to the wilderness boundary, and then um, so they only had to carry about a mile and a half or so. Such a rugged, rugged area. Oh yeah, great area though. Beautiful. So yeah. ancient. This yeah. Is awesome. I'm, I mean, just even if you don't even want to go up like the Great Gulf Headwall or whatever, just to go out and go to Spalding Pond and like experience like hiking up along the West Peabody River is just awesome. It's just one awesome waterfall, one awesome like spot to have lunch and hang out after another. It's just, it's an awesome area. Yeah, it's magic. Yep. All right. And then next one here, we got two more to go. We got uh, Hiker Assisted off of Mount Cardigan. Uh, Sunday, September 25th at 10 a.m., 10.25 a.m., Fishing Game was notified of a hiker who suffered a medical incident. 62-year-old hiker that was on the West Ridge Trail on Mount Cardigan when he collapsed on the trail. Hikers were able to provide medical assistance until responders arrived on the scene. Um, local fire departments were able to assist conservation officers, and the hiker was brought to Dartmouth Medical uh, for further treatment, so no update on this one, not a medical yeah. incident. Okay. Well, wishing her the best. Yep. And then uh, injured hiker on Hedge Mount Hedgehog, which is another favorite of mine. So September 26th, so this was Monday at 1 p.m. Um, fishing game was notified of a hiker that was injured on the UNH Trail. Um, this hiker was 62-year-old from Canada. Um, she was descending the summit with her husband when she injured her ankle she attempted to walk on the injured ankle but was unable to. Husband was able to hike back. So there's no cell connection up there. I know that for a fact. So the hiker was able to hike back. The husband was able to hike back to get cell connection. Um, and then that activated the Forest Service, Lakes Region Search and Rescue, and Mountain Rescue. And they were able to put the victim in a litter and carry her out for two miles. So the call came in at 1. She was able to get out to the trailhead when the litter by 5 p.m. So, and those ledges on Hedgehog, they get tricky, like it's slippery. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of like open ledge in that area. So my guess is that she could have slipped pretty easily. How are the trails like fairly wide? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the UNH trail is pretty wide, uh, easy trail to sort of, it's like a steady, steady climb, but there's just a lot of open rock up there. So I'm guessing maybe that it was wet and she slipped. Yeah. It's fun to remind listeners the the litter that they use is roughly you know 24 inches wide in that ballpark and a lot of the white mountain trails are basically that same width so when people carry somebody down they're off into the brush off trail on the sides jumping boulders and scrub and everything else so it's pretty wild yeah especially the lower section of like the unh trail and like as you approach the parking lot like you got a good probably half mile, um, three quarters of a mile where it's nice and wide and flat. So it must not have been that crazy of a carry out. And even when you get down below Hedgehog and you come back across, 
it's pretty open forest there because that's where I remember seeing a moose there one time and it's it's pretty wide open forest so I don't think that it's as tight as like say you're going to go up to like Crawford Path or something like that like you don't have to deal with like that level and narrow right and at the tail end of this article it talks about how you can fund directly to the volunteer search and rescue groups MRS uh, Lakes Region Hemi Search and Rescue. I mean, there are several that are there, but you can also purchase uh, your hike safe card from Fish and Game, which is another great uh, area for your, you know, it is a donation in a a sense. It helps Fish and Game out tremendously. Their budget has been uh, a difficult area over the last several years and is becoming much better because of all the purchases of the hike safe card out of that program so hikesafe.com and then of course there's the new hampshire outdoor council which is basically the umbrella group that holds donations and offers grants to the search and rescue teams throughout the state so they're critical for the mission of all the teams very good very so, good. Yeah, we don't need coffee. Donate to the fishing game for now. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Mike, this might be the the quickest episode in recent history. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, lean and mean. Yeah, it's still still an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty. So, <laughs> but anyway, we'll catch you next episode. All righty. Cool. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 